on? Yep. Awesome. Um, we're continuing our series. I- I'm avoiding any conversation on Liverpool, by the way. And um, uh, is he deceased yet? Have we dealt with Lee? <laughs> He's wearing a Real Madrid right at the back shirt, sure, right at the back there. Oh, I warned him. One century when the Wallabies will beat the All Blacks, I will wear the jersey with pride. No, I won't. <laughs> so most of you are not knowing what's going on. Liverpool lost the final this morning to Real Madrid. Oh, thank you. Oh. <laughs> Jeez, I feel the love. Not really. Um, let's get into the sermon, huh? Um, Galatians, we're going into Galatians, and if you've been with us the last few weeks, I've been kind of leading us from the beginning of chapter 2, and just hearing a very angry Paul responding to some of the situations that are going on in the churches in Galatia. Um, Angry enough that he's kind of tumbling over his words, and basically dissing everybody in the process. Um, Literally writing a letter uh, uh, today, it would be an email that most of us will say, don't send it, but Paul did. Um... And we have it uh, today to look at and to go into depth with. But before we do, I want to tell you about another church that I pastored. I've done this over the last uh, two, three weeks. The last church before coming here, I was at, I was a senior pastor at a Power Baptist Church uh, in Christchurch, which actually is in Waltham. Um, don't ask me why that's called a Power Baptist Church and it's in Waltham, but it's in Waltham. It's a little suburb just on the edge of the four avenues of downtown Christchurch in the kind of southeast corner. Um, It's, uh, if you can see it there on the map, uh, rugby fans, you can look straight up there, that big dirt patch there, that was Lancaster Park. Um, Now there's no more, but... uh, So that gives you kind of a... You can see the monolith of the building that we had. It was quite a big thing. Um, and, And this was our church. Across the road was the old A frame that was, um, uh, kind of a Power Baptist Church Mark II and Mark III is across the road with the bigger auditorium. Um, next to the A-frame was Mark I, the original building when they first met there and they just kind of grew over time. A power in the uh, 80s in particular was a large church, um, most probably one of the largest Baptist churches, um, definitely in Christchurch, most probably in the country. Uh, it was quite popular until the charismatic movement came into town and they put the bypass up and um, caused all sorts of divisions. Today, it's a smaller church. Um, We'd have, well, at the time I arrived, there would have been a congregation of about 100 to about 120. Um, The building was freezing. There was no heating in it. Um, And Andy can attest as he's taken the kids down a couple of times, I think, on, on, on the bus trip there. They slept there. It is a very cold building. They've changed it now because that building had to be uh, severely uh, refurbished after the earthquakes. Um, but that was, um, that's a power. Uh, there was a lot of things that came out of a power that was really positive. Um, we had a resident artist, and he was amazing. His name is Pete Magendi. He would do all sorts of uh, wonderful and different things around the building. Uh, I would let him know what the sermon series was about, and he would add... Uh, stuff to it to kind of comp, you know, to, to kind of work with what I was preaching on. Um, you can see the frames in the corner. I did a series on reframing Jesus and he put up all these different frames. Pete would do these things not just in and around the church but also around the city and he had quite a 
good following within a power that would help out. Um, uh, one of the more f most famous things he did was the white chair memorial, 185 chairs. Um, uh, Monica spent a good time painting a lot of those chairs at the time. Each chair is an individual chair, they're all different, and they all represent each death that happened during the earthquakes. Um, but he'd also set up these little reflection spaces around, and he'd usually get the crew at a power to come around and help. He did a, an arc of, um, what did he call it? The arc of, uh, of love? Peace, that's it. Um, where it was just a walkthrough where you could just get away from things, uh, little reflection spaces. He'd do it in and around the church, but he'd also do it around the building, around the, uh, the city. Um, also, the other thing that we did really well at Apollo is the way we reacted to the earthquakes. Um, when the, uh, especially the February quake hit, uh, it was almost like we just snapped straight into action. We um, converted the, the buildings across the road, the old A-frame and the old youth center, into a drop-in center that worked daily, uh, and it was busy. And for at least the year of 2011, it was almost every day, lots of people coming in, we would do uh, snap, literally snap lunches. We'd have to send the call out to people and say, hey, we've got a lot of people here, let's get some food in, and everyone just went to action. It was amazing. We also ended up uh, working with a fruit and veg co-op that started sending us a whole lot of fruit and veg uh, to, to help out a lot of the families in our area. Waltham itself has a 70% rental um, population. That is, there are 70% of the houses are rentals in Waltham. So a lot of transient people coming in and out. And so a lot of them are low income as well. So we got this going and out of that in 2011, we started a fruit and veg co-op every Wednesday. And by five years later, still running every week, we had hit something like 200 double bags of fruit and veg that we would get the team together on a Wednesday this big truck would dump all this fruit and veg. We had it down to a science uh, where you know, we knew how many bags we could make with how many fruit and veggies. And then it was a $10 for the two bags. A new world jumped in on us. We had all this bread that they would donate to us. And then we'd open up the, uh, the cafe in our church and we would just have, Wednesday was just a buzz. Um, and these were this, the, just some of the things we did at power that was just amazing. And a lot of it didn't rely on staff or the pastor. It was just the way the people responded. And not only in this, but we had a number of youth and children's things going on. We had community chaplains that were constantly going around the neighborhood seeing how people were doing. It was a pretty happening church. But the story I want to tell you has got little to do with that and more to do with how we arrived. When we, uh, when we got the call, uh, we were living in Washington, D.C., uh, which is quite far away from Christchurch. Um, and, and, you know, these guys had to make a call on someone that they really hadn't had a chance to see, to talk to. Uh, we had an opportunity, Monica and I, we came to Australia during that time because my baby sister was getting married. And so we flew over for 24 hours and we got to meet the search team but the church never met us. Uh, here, uh, when, when, before the vote for me came, I got to preach here the week before, so the church got to kind of interact with me beforehand. They didn't have that there. And so here they're bringing this guy from overseas, uh, from far away, 
And, you know, it was quite nerve-wracking after a 20-plus hour flight. You know, you're kind of getting off the plane at Christchurch thinking, what are we walking into? And this is actually what we walked into right at the airport. (laughs) The whole lot of them showed up with all these face masks of me. So you can imagine, you know, you're a bit uh, jet-lagged, you've got three little kids in tow, you know, we're all just like, oh, you know, what are we going to see? We walk out and then boom, all these faces everywhere. There's a video, they've got, I should have brought the video. There's a video, they actually photoed, you're coming down the escalators and then there's Bella's right next to me, the two of us and then the Monica and the, and the two are behind and they could just see us coming down and, and we're just looking and you could just see us kind of, and then Bella just gets this big smile on her face and I'm like, oh my goodness, what have we walked into? Um, it was a really fun, but this whole thing about masks, <laughs> I mean, my face, um, those things lasted for years. I think there was one in our garden for a little while. <laughs> they just popped up every one of these face masks for me. Um, but it's interesting, when we talk about face masks, uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Because even at a power, with all that we did, it was a very much a doer church it was difficult to get past the face mask. The mask that we all bring in, uh, not just in the church, but that we wear in our lives. And, you know, in the ancient times, the Greeks um, were the ones to first kind of use face masks. They used it in their theatre. They were well known for it. Um, they look kind of creepy, don't they? Um, when you look at them. But, but they were used to just kind of... And all they would do is they would have something that they could tie it around their head or, or hold the mask, and they would be this personage when they did theatre, and, and people loved it. It was a simple way of showing uh, a different personage that was coming onto the stage. Um, they called this mask, and the actors that wore it, in Greek, it was the word Hippocrates. And it's an interesting word in Greek because it's a compound noun. It's actually two words. And it literally means an interpreter from underneath. Of course, today, we use this word in a different sense, right? The whole idea of two-face, the whole idea of hypocrisy, it, it really was born out of this. But what's even more interesting is the idea of what hypocrisy meant. By the time Paul's writing this letter to the Galatian churches, it has the same meaning then as it has today, that these hypocrites are two-faced. They're not showing us what's going on. They're interpreting themselves from underneath. Let's go to the passage, Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. Now, after he, he just said all the things he said last week, he continues, still upset, still angry. He says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Now, I'm not sure how many people would put their hands up and say, I belong to the circumcision group. Please don't do that. It's happened once before. (laughs) The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish 
customs. Now, Paul is already, up till like verse 10, has already written, you know, 10 verses of things that if you go back, you think, do you really want to write that, Paul? You know, at one point, he tells the people in Galatia, I don't care who these leaders are in, in Jerusalem. I don't care who the brother of Jesus is. If they're wrong, they're wrong. I'm going to call them out. No one's special in God's eyes. We're all the same. But now, rather than just talking generally about these leaders, he's actually pinpointing one person, Peter. And he goes to town on Peter. Now, if I were to write an email to the church and did just what Paul's doing, how would we react to that? If I called someone out by name and, and wrote that, how would we react to that? Because as Kiwis, this, this is tough stuff, eh? We, we just don't do this unless they're a politician, you know, or some other elected official or a pastor, whoever they might be. There's some people that are excluded from them. But in general, we don't do this, right? It's, 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 it's uncomfortable. We don't call people out publicly like this. That's how angry Paul is at this point. What's going on here is, is wrong, and it needs to be called out. It's hard, though, eh? It's easy enough to look at this and think, oh, we don't know Peter personally. We don't even know Paul personally. It's just a letter. We read it all the time. But if we just change it, and say, this is someone that we know who's writing about somebody else, and he's made it public. It's difficult. But there are times in which that needs to happen. There are times in which we have to call this out. Paul here is angry, because it has the potential of misleading everyone. The hypocrisy, the two-faced that he's seeing, the mask that Peter wears when the right people walk in the room is wrong. And it needs to be called out. Because the churches in Galatia are struggling over this. They're dividing over this. And it needs to be said. Now even Peter, as great as Peter was as an apostle, as a leader, the poor guy has a lot of his brokenness shared, not just in the Gospels, but in the letters as well, as we're reading here. But that doesn't make him any less a great leader. It doesn't make him any less an example, a positive example for us to follow. It doesn't make him any less a follower of Christ just because he's been called out or just because he's betrayed his Savior, just because he's done all these things that you look at him and say, Peter, what are you doing? Part of our growth is to be challenged. Now, we don't all react well to being challenged. Me above all of you. A lot of the times we live in that defensive space, whether it's our insecurities, whether we haven't faced our brokenness, whether we've got a very good mask that allows us to cover what's really going on inside and we don't want that broken or shown. The challenge actually to grow is Christ, to grow more like him to be more like him, to be the people he's called us to be, 
is to drop the mask. I mean, we've been talking about this for a few weeks now, the whole question of identity. Peter knows the truth. He knows what's right, but when certain people come into the room, he just kind of backs away, gets his mask out, and he goes, oh, I can't be that anymore. I'll be something else. What masks are we wearing? What masks are you wearing? Some of us have more than one mask that we we put aside for different groups of people. I'm going to go to Helensburg next weekend where I'll be preaching and I'm tempted to wear a mask because it's a celebration and I don't want to ruin it and I won't but I've got to do it without the mask. I'm going to see my mum and I've got a mask for mum. <laughs> Some of us have masks for our parents, don't we? It's not worth the fight. It's not worth, you know, the explanation. Some of us young people have those for our parents as well. Some of you have it for people that you know. You just, you can't be you. And so you hide. It's that issue of conformity versus unity in the church in particular because, hey, when it comes to masks, we at church do a great job of wearing masks. In fact, we'll put big masks in front of the whole church and dare anyone to break through that. And when the world points at us, the sins that we've committed... We'll blame the media, we'll blame everything else, we'll blame Satan, rather than stopping and looking and saying, whoa, what's going on with us? What are we doing? And sometimes we force people to wear masks so that we could all look alike and be alike. Don't ask me those difficult questions. Don't tell me you're struggling with your faith. Don't tell me you're a doubter. Don't tell me about what issues you're dealing with. Put your mask back on. Jesus challenges his people make a big show of saying the right thing, but their heart isn't in it. They act like they're worshipping me, but they don't mean it. They use me just as a cover for teaching whatever suits their fancy. Now, that's extreme position of mask wearing, but I think most of us are like the next verse. Most of us are more like what he says in Luke. You can't keep your true self hidden forever. Before long, you'll be exposed. You can't hide behind a religious mask forever. Sooner or later, the mask will slip and your true face will be known. It's scary sometimes to allow your true self to be seen. We, we don't want people to think badly of us. We don't want people... To, to, you know, see the rubbish. My poor kids have had to deal with me. <laughs> they know when someone's coming over for dinner because I get into a bit of a state. Hey, Bella. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. We'll talk later. <laughs> but, you know, I get into a state. We've got to clean the house. We've got to put everything away. People can't see this mess, and I get angry. And I get flustered. That's the mask. Who wants to come into my home 
on a Monday afternoon when we've just all gotten back from work. You know, it's just there's, there's shoes over here, there's the dinner from last night that we didn't get to because we were too tired the night before. That's not stuff we want people to see, but it's personal as well. We don't want people to see what we're truly thinking or feeling. We don't want that to be shown. And then we wonder why our young people want to deconstruct their faith because they just see past the mask, you know. They, they see what's really going on. They know. And we see it ourselves. We're, we see it. God, God sees it. Jesus warns us about it. Let it go. In fact, the more real you are, the more free there is. Because then there's only but God that can deal with it. Our identity, our identity is not in, in what we do. Our identity is not found in how we look. Our identity is not found in in where we go, how we do things, who we're with, what we even subscribe to. Our identity is not found in that. Our identity is found solely and wholly in Jesus Christ. And he sees every little bit of you. Every little bit of you. He knows it all. You can't hide it from him. I have people who come to me, I mean, I've had a weight problem for years. You know, I wish I could look good like some of those pastors, you know, that, are, that just seem so hip and cool and I'm just fat and bold. I can't deal with the bold thing, that's just genetics, right? I've got hands from... <laughs> that's my baby. Um, you yeah, can't deal with it. But this I can deal with and I struggle with dealing with it. And people will come to me with all sorts of advice. How many diets I've been given and how many times I've been told, oh, if you just do this, Rob, you know, you could lose weight and all this and that. You could see my sin, it's quite clear. But for the most part, I can't see other people's sins because they're well hidden. They're deep inside. For some of us, our sin is just out for everybody to see. We can't hide it. Well, sometimes it's been exposed. It's there. But for a lot of us, our sins tucked away neat, mask upon mask upon mask, covering us. The humiliation of Christ on a cross, half naked, with all the power in the world. He gave his life. And it wasn't just his life. He gave his pride. He gave his dignity. He gave his godhood. He gave everything. Because he loves us so much. And the challenge that he then lays on our feet is to go and love people, including yourself, just as much. 
can we do that as the church? And that means sometimes having to read a difficult letter like that Paul wrote to Peter and say, hey dude, you can't do this. You're misleading people. You're being a hypocrite. Stop it. Sometimes that's part of love, right? So the challenge for you this week, I've got actually more slides, but I don't want to go any further than that. The challenge you have this week is I, I look in the mirror and challenge yourself, what masks are you wearing and why? And then give it to God. Just even say it to yourself in the mirror. Jesus, this is yours. Help me to be more me. And for some of you, that might mean that you've been coming to church all these years and you never actually gave your life to Jesus Christ. You're doing this because this is just what you do. But Jesus is not there. So for some of you, that means maybe it's time for you to turn to Him. For others of us who did, who have, who have gone to Jesus, and we've just lost our ways a little bit. We live a, another life in different spaces. Maybe that's your mask that needs to be given. So I challenge you this week, even this afternoon, go home. Just look in the mirror, talk to yourself. What masks am I wearing? And what do I need to give up? As the music team come up, I just want to ask the prayer team, our Whakaronga Mai, if you guys are around, just they'll be either in the front row or even here in the corner for anyone who would like prayer. Because actually facing ourselves in the mirror is not an easy thing. Having to be faced with what those masks are in our lives, well, we've worked really hard to put those in place. And getting them off is not going to be an easy track. So if the team, as these guys are playing, as everyone's standing, if you want prayer, please come forward. Let us pray over you. You don't need to come forward if you're not comfortable. Maybe turning to a person beside you and asking them to pray over you. This is the body of Christ. This is what it means to be a community of God's people that we pray for each other, that we support one another, and we lift each other up in Jesus' name. So if the on my team and any of the elders, just plant yourselves in the front row or over here in our prayer corner. Sing none but Jesus.